Hey, welcome back everyone to the Dear Taiwan podcast. My name is Teacher Joseph. Today we have the second part of my conversation with Bob, my Taiwanese friend. This time we're looking at six ways the USA is better than Taiwan. If you missed the last episode where we looked at five ways Taiwan is better than the USA, please feel free to go back and listen to that, of course. For some more context, I'm an American who's been living in Taiwan for about nine years. And Bob is a Taiwanese person who moved to the USA when he was a teenager and stayed there for about six years. So we're all in for a balanced perspective. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get started. Bob, we're back. We're back for round two. It is raining buckets outside, and I'm ready to list six things that America does better than Taiwan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, you? Oh, I mean, I'm um, I'm doing well. All moved into the new apartment, uh, mm-hmm. living comfortably here. But then again, it is crap weather outside, and when you have to be outside driving in it, um, <laughs> it kind of gets you in a foul mood. So I'll have plenty to complain about regarding Taiwan this episode. Hopefully, I'm not going to make anybody too mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's these days sucks for sure. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing on our list of uh, what is now six things that America does better than Taiwan is supermarkets. Actually, I guess to justify my claim here is that most Americans get all of their shopping, grocery shopping, and and food from supermarkets, whereas Taiwanese tend to shop at a few different places, some supermarkets, but also traditional markets, and a lot of Taiwanese do eat out more often than Americans do, like at night markets or just. The ubiquitous restaurants around. So, right. with that being said, with American supermarkets kind of being the go-to spot for everything, high-quality products, huge selection. Um, I really feel like that's just one thing where America kind of reigns supreme in the food department. And one thing I'm I'm actually going to start this off this way is that one thing that kind of baffles me is that when you get into like smaller towns in Taiwan or even up in like mountain villages. Yeah. I have no idea where people who live there go to buy their food. I really don't, because like in most places in the U.S., even in like a small town, there's a supermarket, or at least there's a common point where everyone will go to buy all their bread, vegetables, cereals, meat, packaged food. Um, but again, in Taiwan, it doesn't really revolve all around that. Shopping at whether it's Carrefour or RT Mart or PX Mart or A Mart or J Mart, just go down the list of all the the the, <laughs> the um, marts. All the marts, yeah. Sometimes I'm just kind of disappointed where I can't find what I want there, or it's just out of stock, not on display so conveniently, or not as plentiful. Not many options. Yeah, maybe there's not as many options as I expected or I got used to growing up in America. I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts about this topic? I may agree and disagree. I guess I'm just used to the fact that there's so many stores, marts around, and you know, it's always something on, along the streets that you can get. Sure, um, like gigantic supermarkets, very very rare in Taiwan. Uh, Costco doesn't count; it's a wholesale yeah. store. Yeah, Costco is a little bit different. Carry for these days, they're expanding. Um, the the yeah. one. In Chizang, that one was kind of big. Yeah, that one is pretty big, and I guess Carrefour kind of is like, I guess arguably Taiwan's best supermarket. Like, I don't think anybody else would like claim that they prefer RT Mart to Carrefour, and Carrefour has 
plenty of good stuff, but I'm always kind of yeah. like surprised at what Carrefour just randomly doesn't have. And I'm trying to like, think of a, a good example. You know, whether it's like a certain vegetable I'm looking for, or whether it's like peanut butter or cereal, or whether it's like a snack I saw at 7-Eleven and I wanted to buy in bulk, but it's not at Carrefour at all. Is that because like me, a lot of times, like if you talk about vegetable, a lot of times that's like out of the seasons or it's, I mean, a lot of those things are imported as well, though. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true, actually. Yeah. To give more credit back to Taiwan, and when you're really looking for like kind of um, high quality imported foreign foods, you can go to mm-hmm. Jason's. But yes. um, I'm not going to spend over 10 US dollars on a box of shredded wheat. That's just dumb. Yes. Okay, here's another small gripe I have about supermarkets in Taiwan. Um, namely with the small ones, whether it's um, the now defunct Welcome Mart or mm-hmm. PX Mart or Simple Mart. They never have bread. Or if they do have bread, they don't have much bread. Because, I mean, there are a lot of bakeries around, though. Yeah, that's true. So therein lies the split in Taiwan. Like, it's yeah. never a one-stop shop, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I live here comfortably without really needing a supermarket. I mean, I guess, I mean, like we talk about convenience stores every, around every corner. So just, you got to, I mean, when you want something, you already have a destination, some, some kind of stores in mind. Like, okay, so if I want to go get this things, I go to here, I want to get certain things, certain things, you get it from there, right? A lot of times different than this, the uh, people in the States, as in like, Okay, we need something. Let's all go to Walmart or Target or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. And I guess that is one thing I've said to a lot of like new arrivals in Taiwan. Like, Taiwan has everything you need. You can get anything you want here. You just have to look harder. And yeah. um, for a long time, the exception to that rule was raspberries, but they're finally getting raspberries adjacent sometimes. And mm. yes, I will spend over 10 US dollars for one little thing of raspberries if I see it. It's just worth it to me. Yeah. Okay. So, then go back to like when you first come here, right? Because yeah, this must be a huge difference of where you get your food and all the you mean uh, household necessities. Where yeah, do you 100%. get your stuff from at the like early days of you being in Taiwan? Do you pick like certain store or marks to go to, or you kind of like already develop a sense of where you want to go to get to get certain things? I mean, when I first moved to Taiwan, I basically survived off Bindang for three three years straight. <laughs> Okay, so that's food. What about other yeah. things? Like household goods, stuff like that, like all your cleaning products and all yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the kitchen paper towels or trash bags or whatever. One place I discovered was Xiaobei by Huo, which is the everything store, or that's what I call it. Guangnan markets these days. Yeah, so there's there's also Guangnan. Is, is Guangnan, in your opinion, more stationary? Appliance, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So, like, that's Taiwan's answer to the dollar store, kind of, though, like, there's not, mm-hmm. like, such a focus on it being cheap. There's just a focus on, like, having everything you can possibly want under the sun. Right. Um, and again, like, that's, they really don't sell food there. I mean, they, they might sell some, like, packaged snacks, but that's not the focus. You want to get, like, a, a simple hardware thing to fix in your house or paper towels or a toilet brush. You mm-hmm. go to there. If you want, like, fresh vegetables, you go to the traditional market. If you want bread, you go to the bakery. If you want whatever remains, you go to Carrefour. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think now about, like, qualities of American supermarkets that are just in contrast to Taiwanese ones. 
without just saying that like, oh, it's just so good, you know? Like, uh, what was the market in Idaho called? Like, what was the, the, the chain of supermarkets called when you were there? Uh, when I was in Lewiston, they have Albertson. Albertson? Yeah, I think Albertson okay. is the West Coast one. Okay, I, I really don't know. I mean, there's like, across the country, there's a lot of different ones. Different chains, yeah. I think Albertson yeah. was the one that I go, but... I mean, that one is still very much like your, like what you said. It's a supermarket, but it's not a super supermarket. No, it's not okay, a mega yeah. one. That one was more in line of what you expect to find in Taiwan, though. Really? Yeah. Okay. So where I'm from, Massachusetts, your, your, your two supermarkets are, you got Stop and Shop, which is a massive company worldwide. Okay. And then there's a smaller regional one that's just like Western Mass in Vermont called Big Y. Okay. Uh, y because I guess the founder's name began with a Y. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, like, it's like a smaller regional chain. And they have like, I mean, you know, like a really good butcher shop, you know, a really mm. good bakery. They have uh, some, some ready-made meals and pizza and rotisserie chicken pre-made. They have all... All yeah. manners of fresh vegetables and massive stacks on shelves. They have, you know, like a cheese section. They have mm -hmm. 50 million different kinds of yogurt and juice. And they have all the household stuff you need in the, some aisles in the middle. Also, just to kind of keep drawing contrasts, wider, bigger, brighter, friendlier, less busy. And I guess this is also just kind of the characteristic of America, less of Taiwan. Okay, next thing to mention. Yeah. Did you have Wegmans, or did you ever visit a store called Wegmans um, in any of your travels in America? No. Um, it's think. a chain from upstate New York, but they've kind of expanded across a lot of parts of the country, and it okay. ranks as like the third best employer to work for in the entire country. And Holy crap, Bob, you would not believe their selection. Like they have whole international food aisles. They have a whole like ready-made meal bar, any kind of like exotic ingredient you might want, uh, Japanese sauces or, or squid or like, you know, African grain even, like they're gonna have it because they're really going for, uh, they're capturing different sections of the market catering to restaurants and to like a high-end consumer and to all your 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 basic food needs and they're open 24 hours sometimes now i'm getting okay. nostalgic okay um not gonna argue with that uh yeah. i mean i've been to several pretty good si okay let's put it this way yeah your average your average supermarket in the states will be considered somewhat on the bigger side of the ones in taiwan Yes, like definitely. Carry four in Chijan, that one could be considered as like an average one for sure. Yeah. So yeah. to consider the fact that there's plenty of space to build big ass buildings. So there's that. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I like about Taiwanese supermarkets that American supermarkets don't have, pick your own meat, bag your own meat, like pre-marinated meat to barbecue. In Taiwan, yeah, they do. Yeah, have, yeah. They do and I never that. saw that in America because America is so like skittish about meat safety, almost like unnecessarily so. Wait, don't they have like a dairy section? Yeah, yeah they totally do, but like, like you can't like just take tongs and like go and take your own meat, really, you know? 
I mean, a lot、yeah. of meat in Taiwanese superstore supermarkets are all prepacked anyway. The one you mentioned is like, are they cutting the meat in front of you and the marinade in front of you? Massive sliding door low fridge full of just precut meat with sauce all over it. You just pick it out with tongs. Oh, oh yeah, you don't see that actually in the states. No, no, I find though. So、uh, before we close this supermarket segment, what else do you remember from supermarkets in the U.S.? Well, my first impression was they have a whole freaking aisle of cereals. Like, yes, it's like twenty、uh, meters, so it's like sixty feet long aisles of all kind. I mean, on both sides, and like six foot tall shelves of all sides, like different kinds of cereals. That was it's beautiful. I miss、ridiculous. it so much. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I had so much cereal in the states. I mean,、yep. consider the fact that cereal is kind of expensive here too. But still, yeah, that's that was my first impression. I I know the store is big, but like just dedicated one aisle. I mean, and you have like one aisle for just water, just drink. Yeah, one aisle, like a half aisle, just for cards. You know, a greeting cards actually. A greeting cards like. It's harder to find that kind of thing here in Taiwan, whereas、no. like in the U.S., like if it's Mother's Day or like Fourth of July or someone's birthday or whatever, yeah, there's always a card for it, and it's usually kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for that kind of thing, for greeting cards, is like you have to go to like usually like a stationary store. Like going back to the fact, you know, going back to what we talk about, you know, a lot of times you have to go to certain store in Taiwan to get things you want, you know. So the next thing on our list, I'm I'm actually wonder how much you'll have to say about this, Bob. But the next thing that America does better than Taiwan is live music. Yes, I will have to agree with you, but agree with you with caution because I don't have that much experience. Have a lot of experience going to places for live music myself. I um I went to plenty of music concerts and theaters in Taiwan. Okay.、Uh, very rarely have experience with live music, so. So growing up、um, in Western Mass, you know, kind of between Boston and New York, in an area with a lot of colleges. Yeah.、Um, going out, whether it's a, you know, Friday or Saturday night, I got to see a, a live show, live live band, live performance of really any genre. You know, rock, hip hop, folk, kind of,、uh, even like a DJ set is just kind of like. A total normal thing to do. When I was in high school and college, I would go out to see live music easily once a month,、mm. and、um, we got a lot of really big names coming through. And they would usually come, like the bigger names would come and play a weekday show because they were going between Boston and New York, right? So, like, let's say,、okay. like as a, as a kid, I saw Queens of the Stone Age, Foo Fighters, Red Hot Chili Peppers.、Damn. I mean, and for hip hop, like Ghostface Killah. A lot more underground hip hop acts that I quite enjoyed. The venues were never super huge, with the exception、mm. of Foo Fighters. And going out to see live music was just kind of like what everyone did. There's also just so many local bands that were just had really perfected live shows and were able to kind of foster a dedicated following. And they would tour like regionally, you know, like New England and New York, say、right. like that. 
And you, you never really get more than like, let's say a thousand people at a show. Uh, it would usually never be a seated show, but like a huge kind of ballroom area. Everyone can kind of stand and, you know, jump around or dance or whatever you want. If you want to indulge in, you know, drinking or smoking, you probably could as well. Right. And uh, the shows would go until, you know, two in the morning or whatever. And that was just like the activity. Definitely more so than like clubbing or partying until you get to college. And even then, like that's only in college, really. It was always really nice to just kind of discover new bands at live shows or live music festivals. I mean, festivals are, of course, more so like a bit of a summer thing because the weather. Even today, my parents who are like, you know, in their late 50s and early 60s, like they go to like weekend music festivals and just go see like, you know, four or five bands a day. Um, They'll go to... Um, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Arts right. and uh, see a whole fe- an annual festival kind of set up by the band Wilco. It's a pretty well-known American folk rock band that they kind of have a whole festival at this one museum. My parents right. also routinely follow Pearl Jam around on tour and go see them at Hartford, Boston, New York, Montreal, and Quebec City. So I, I'm, I'm just I'm listing a ton of examples, of course, but I mean, I still to this day, a lot of the music I listen to are local bands that I discovered in my teenage years, in my 20s, um, from live shows. Mm-hmm. And I, I really feel like, yeah, sure, Taiwan has their own music scene. I, I know well, a sure. lot of Taiwanese musicians. I'm familiar with them. But the live music kind of culture is totally different. And people yeah. don't go see live music as much as much as they do in the, the U.S., or at least where I'm from in the U.S. When when I have been to Taiwanese live shows, it's a different feel. People aren't there going for, like, a social fun time or to, like, discover new music. Yeah. They're there for the presentation. And, like, when the band stops, an MC comes out and just fills the room with chatter forever until, like, the sound check has finish for the next band and for me personally that's wicked annoying i want to talk to my friend about the music we just heard and um it's very often very like overly organized and very almost artificial feeling and almost too showy and not as much about the music okay that's all my thoughts right there (laughs) well okay so I need to be cautious of what I say, but still, I think I totally agree with you. But it's just the fact that I don't have as much experience of live music, you know, mm-hmm. that could be personal, very personal thing. I mean, I, I do like listening to music and play a little when I was kids, too. But there's so many underground garage bands, like even when you're growing up, you heard like your kids, your friends. And when I was in the States doing um during my exchange student year. Right. So mm-hmm. the family friends the kids they may have some kind of you know their own band i mean probably not going to be famous for i mean for most of them but it's just the fact that you know they have the equipment they play their own music they have fun Mm -hmm. and even these kids these people go to listen to other bands other friends of theirs you know the fact that they have that i mean people in the states have that culture is for sure so much different than ones in taiwan Again, I, I grew up in a pretty small town. Like, my high school graduating class was 99 people, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I had several friends who had bands or who would, like, perform, you know, like, one-man acoustic shows. 
regularly in like the small towns around and that was just kind of like what you did and like their their following their fan base was like other people in the high schools and colleges around yeah and it was, it was always like it was amazing that like my friend mike has a, a a punk band and they they had written five songs or so but they could go and play at like some bar mm-hmm. and get exposure and get people like really hype for their their show and like they right. never got famous but it was part of the youth culture and it was encouraged yes very much so like mm-hmm. i would have to say um like even high school talent shows quite often much much better than the ones in in, in taiwan and okay yeah not not to say most talent shows in taiwan high schools um, a lot of times, like you said, like to a lot of shows in in regular bars in Taiwan too, it's like so well organized. You know, yes. it's run by the school itself. You know, the teachers run the lighting, and a lot of times that you know, performers are pre-checked by the teachers, um, or selected only selected teams, selected shows get to be on the stage. You know. Yeah. Even the one that I went to when I was in Indiana, kids were just having fun, you know, yeah. whether the music sound they wrote them or everyone just had fun. And the, the whole atmosphere is just like, hey, we're here to to play music. And it really doesn't matter to like how other people perceive us as like a successful band or not. It's just like we have our own voice to play and we welcome you to to listen to it yeah yeah and like some of those bands will kind of grow some kind of regional following and could even like uh put out a record or tour um some of them might not but they're in it for the experience and Mm -hmm. and that's fine some of the taiwanese bands i have seen um crowd lu or lu guangzhong is pretty famous in across the country i saw his live show in taipei with Mm -hmm. my wife and um he was great very talented, but I don't think that there was an opening act, which is a big thing in America. You want to you want to be the opening act for the bigger name to kind of get your name out there. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot much more of like a full stage spectacle and less yeah. so about the actual music. Lighting, there were like skits even. There was like all these like very, very well-timed transitions as opposed yeah. to just like getting up there, playing some music, maybe um, really rocking out and putting on a great show um, in terms of the musicianship of it and talking to the audience a bit. Um, The other big, maybe these guys aren't considered as big. Do you know the band Boxing? No, um, I'm really not familiar with any bands in Taiwan. (laughs) So these these guys are from Ping Dong. um, I think most of them are Aboriginal. And um, okay. they're 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 somewhat well known. I've seen them several times, and like they've played Taoyuan. I've seen them in Taoyuan, Taipei. I've seen them at like the um, December thirty first kind of like county county wide New Year celebration thing. Yeah. And uh, they put on a pretty good show and talented as well. But like, right. yeah, they're they're not as big as they could be if like they were playing to an audience of like. Americans maybe who just love going to see live music. I'm trying to say it carefully, but like if they were an American band, 
with right. that much talent and style and showmanship, they would be so much bigger than they are now because they're here in Taiwan catering to Taiwanese who don't often go and see live music as much as Americans do. No, definitely not. Speaking there we go. Personal experience. Yeah, I mean a lot of live music things in the states do so much better than Taiwanese. Like you have the venue for it, you know. That so, is true, actually. Yeah. Um, so few places that in Taiwan, you know, a setup for live music. And also, also, this is a stereotype I think okay. a lot of people have. People, when you, people talk about learning music, for people in Taiwan, what are the se first several mu uh, instruments that they would pick up on? I know exactly what you're going to say, Bob. Go yes. for it. No. Piano, violin, cello, flute, like basic, very classical music instruments yeah yeah whereas like when i was growing up in school like we had band which yes. is more like horns woodwinds and percussion we had no strings program at all so like if anybody was in band odds are they were playing like trumpet clarinet Brass or music, flute right? or or even like you know drums and yeah. i mean i played guitar in school a lot of kids play guitar in school and like you said like those instruments kind of bridge more easily into like uh, modern yeah, music, music pop, rock, yeah. rock or whatever. A lot of times like, I mean, more and more for sure that a lot of kids in Taiwan pick up on, you know, percussion, which I did, you know, I play percussion, guitars and all that. But yeah, when when kids were young, parents starting wanting to expose kids to music in Taiwan, first thing they would think about are, you know, piano, violin, cellos. But it's just the fact that I mean, a lot of kids growing up learning just that certain kind of, you know, uh, ensemble music instruments and yeah. not too many with guitars and all that. So yeah. I, I was in guitar lessons in grade five. Yeah. See, and it's, it's, it's very rare to have parents in Taiwan to encourage kids to learn guitar as, you know, at a young age. Usually you have like one of the classical instruments down to a certain level before they branch out to something else. Yeah. So I have two more points that I just thought of. Uh, number one, like that that is something to be said, like in terms of uh, Taiwanese kids and their their youth and their their coming of age uh, experiences. They often don't have the encouragement or the time to kind of be creative in in music the way they kind of are encouraged to treat it academically. Oh. Um, and we'll save that for a later topic, actually. Yeah, or be creative um, in general. <laughs> yeah, and uh, things things are changing, but things are changing going, sure. going back in the day. But here's one more thing I got to ask. So, the two bigger towns by me were in Massachusetts, the, the two university towns. They have about roughly twenty thousand people each, and okay. you walk in either downtown any weekend, you are guaranteed to hear buskers, meaning like. Some guy sitting on the sidewalk with a guitar, with a hat out for money. Or if you go to the other town, there was always a guy who played like the the, the timpani, that steel drum kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that really kind of with a really unique sound. Like, and I I'd always like toss them some money, and that's, that's just what you got. You oh. go to Boston or New York City, it's it's even bigger. I don't see that as much in in Taiwan. I don't see like street performers as much. Um, I think this is the thing, though. Um, in Taiwan, if you want to perform music to get money, you have to register for it. Sure. 
there's certain license they have to task for and you have to register before you can actually legally go on the street corners and put your put, put your head out and, and you know play and, and perform and okay. i think i'm not sure if this is my i mean I'm not sure my understanding is right or wrong but i think certain areas i mean there are only certain areas are designated for street performance not everywhere you cannot do that everywhere in, in taiwan you mean in taiwan yes that that kind of doesn't surprise me like there's designated areas for for vendors and hawkers there's designated market areas yeah um, the fact that street performance needs a license that one was a little bit shocking for me i i feel like in some places in america it, it must also be that way but i also feel like it depends on what you're doing um okay. i i highly doubt that like the the musicians on the streets in the two towns by me would have had to deal with some kind of license process but like if, if you're definitely if you're selling something in america right. you need a license that that's definitely i'll have to look it up but i mean it's again still very common yes live music in taiwan comes relatively 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 weaker than live music in the states for sure yeah yes. and it's not as if taiwan doesn't have like domestic musicians and domestic like, no. music industries like it definitely does but this is like culture as a whole is just not as appealing to majority of people or it's not something people do I wonder actually, like, this is a, maybe a final thought about this topic, like a lot of Taiwanese, if they're going out on a weekend, they're going to, they might choose to go to KTV. I wonder right. how much KTV or, um, you know, Taiwan's version of private karaoke is like a substitute for going to see a show. I, I don't, I, I don't know. Ooh, good point though. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one was one that you actually brought up just recently to me. Um, and I, I, I gotta say, I totally agree. But um, oh yeah, uh, do you want to introduce your your thoughts, Jeff Bob? Well, uh, the thing that I personally feel very strongly about how Americans does better than Taiwan is the maker culture. Maker culture, as in people make things of their own, create things of their own. And I feel so strongly because recently been wanting to to go, you know, some woodworking lesson and which mm -hmm. and eventually did. And like after the after the classes, I have my own chair, I have my own things, but that's it. I mean, I, I don't have any more resources other than going back to the class or the tools other than going back to the class to use those tools to create things of my own, you know, I mean. Okay. Have ideas or wanting to make, have want to develop the skills, but lacking the space, lacking the material, lacking the tools. You know, you're just making that idea, that dream, very, very hard to achieve. So, so there's, so when you brought this up, I, I kind of thought that there's two ways to go with this. Like, there's the one side of this topic where like people have this as a hobby, or right. have have more kind of crafty hobbies um or work with their hands more for hobbies but there's also the side where like in america compared to taiwan largely mm -hmm. uh blue collar workers you know carpenters electricians right. um, masons plumbers largely make pretty good wages and yeah. can like have a pretty sustainable career compared to in taiwan where if you're doing some kind of like blue collar work whatever it is I don't think that they're kind of viewed the same way in society as like that's a respectable, viable career. 
Um, more and more becoming that way for sure. Okay. But it's still as like blue collar workers still consider as a lower tier of jobs in Taiwan for the yeah. most places. Um, but with fewer and fewer fewer young people going to the field, I mean the job opportunities right. definitely opens up for a lot of older generations. And okay, not to say they make exorbitant amount of money, but for mo, I think for most of them they get paid pretty well. Like you sometimes you see as a it's like intern. I mean, even I um, look up some on uh, woodworking apprenticeship, right? They okay. pay you like up to two thousand per day. So if you for, make for being an apprentice, yeah, being an apprentice, you know, okay. an average is like twelve hundred dollars to two thousand dollars per day of work. Okay. Um, and of course, there 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 are busy seasons and there's less busy seasons. So, um, but if you do the math, fifteen hundred per day, and you work. 20, 25 days per month. Sure. That's still relatively average salary, if not, you know, more so than some other. Yeah, because the average salary in Taiwan right now, if I remember reading correctly, it's um roughly forty five thousand NT a month is like the considered average. Right. Um, which is still way too low, but like, uh, if if you can make more than that at a, a blue collar job, and the and the the market is changing, where like there's more demand, then that's that's great. Okay, I just look it up. Uh, average monthly salary is fifty four thousand. For blue collar workers, I mean apprenticeship, you can get you know close to two thousand per day, and yeah. if you're masters wise, you know yeah, it's definitely a lot more, a lot higher, and. Um, of course, they're using their labors to do a lot of work that a lot of people don't want to do. So right. there's still a lot of markets for that. Yeah, like, and I mean, like the way it works in America too, and I, probably the same in Taiwan. Like, you really do have to work really hard. Like, my dad's an electrician; he works mm -hmm. really hard, but he he has his master's state license. Mm -hmm. He he's gotten a lot more like additional certifications for solar and. There's always work around to be done. There's whether it's industrial contracts or whether it's mm -hmm. like renovating homes. Uh, right. Most years makes a pretty stable living being mm -hmm. an electrician. And of course, you know he's has his master's license, so he can do like he can actually like supervise projects and all right. those kind of things. Um, but it takes a while to get there, and you're exhausted at the end of the day. Right. It's just yeah. like a physical physical work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what about doing maker hobbies then? Yeah, that's the thing. Like a lot of people don't see like woodworking or a lot of like creating things as something that's worthy of learning as besides just a hobby, you know? Okay. Yeah. So I know uh, in our schools they have maker class. Uh, you sign up for, but I mean it's getting better and better as. Like a lot of people or a lot of parents willing to send kids to schools like that or to classes like that. Even I growing up for a period of time, uh, my dad, my parents sent me to like one of the course in the, like it's almost like a cram school, but instead of studying, we're just trying out things. You know, some do some scientific experiments and create things and with our hands basically. Yeah. So, okay. so like after school activities. Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of times it's still restricted to classroom settings even. Yeah. You know, 
in America, I mean, I bet your parents, especially your dad, being the electrician, that you have a garage, you have all kinds of tools available to you, right? Yeah, garage and basement. Yeah, there's just like ridiculous amounts of like tools down there that I don't even know the names of. Right, and you probably don't even know how to use them, right? No. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, I mean, it doesn't have to be that advanced, but the like the basic toolkits, drills, you know, screwdrivers. I mean, I bet if you ask like a hundred people like how to put things together, provide all the materials and all the drills, all the screws given to them. Probably less than five people can put things together. They just wouldn't know how to like intuitively use some tools. Right, right. Because it's never been taught or seen as necessary as a basic life skills, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, people like to create things. A lot of times, like, I'd like in my situations, I don't get, get to have the tools or the place or the materials, you know. It need to let me try and let me fail, you know. So that's something that I think in the States is definitely a lot better too. Kids growing up, a lot of times watching their parents, or it doesn't have to be their parents, it can be like a neighbor, people who are just working on cars occasionally, yeah. right? Fixing things by themselves. And kids pick up on those basic skills, and sometimes they ended up wanting to make something of their own. And they have all the tools, resources, you know, even the, the the advice available to them. It's so different in Taiwan. The one the one area I think that Taiwan doesn't like in this is like arts and crafts markets. Like you can go to most cities in Taiwan. Um, Taichung is a big spot for this, and you can mm -hmm. go to like certain uh, areas, and you have like independent. Arts and crafts artists making whether it's jewelry or yes. ceramic or small scale woodworking stuff, mm -hmm. and they've they've clearly learned. Like, I have no idea how to use jewelry tools. Of course, I have no idea. I never made jewelry. I don't really really have much interest. But like they've, these people have mastered that. Right. Um, but but I get you. They're probably not working like in their house just for the heck of it. They they invested in learning the skill by their choice. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just something that was like around, right? In the states, it doesn't have to be like you have you living next to a master jewelist, you know? Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just the fact that tools are there. You see people creating things, you know, mm -hmm. and you get to try th things yourself. And materials-wise, it's somewhat easier to get and cheaper too, right? Lumber is considered very expensive in Taiwan. Oh yeah, yeah. Wood is expensive here, and there's yes. so few shops that actually sell wood. Yes, it's just like I I missed the time when I was in the states. You know, the family I live with, they have their garage. Yeah. And one of the uh, family's uh, relatives, I mean, he himself is a mechanic. You know, mm -hmm. so you see, like he and his sons were building cars, were doing things in their garage. You know, and the whole family supports that, and just like. Yeah. All the things are there, ready to go, just whether you want to do it or not. And in Taiwan, it's like there's nothing there for you to get inspired, to, to get your hands gre greasy, to get your hands dirty to make things. Unless it's like some kind of class or unless it's yes. like some kind of tangible thing that there's like a clear outcome that will be achieved. There's not as much of like a focus on tinkering. Tinkering, yes. I think actually a, a function of this of this um, topic connects to our our last topic discussed in this this podcast. Um, 
there's very often not the space for people to do things like this, mm-hmm. but uh, at home. But we'll we'll save this for a little bit later in the show. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely another thing that we can mention. All right. So the fourth thing on on my list of things that America does better than Taiwan, and uh, again with the grammar, it's it's weird to say that America necessarily does this, but um, teenage years. Uh, I feel like in America, compared to Taiwan, people you guys lived, man. <laughs> right, like like people do so much self-discovery, coming of age, and have so many formative experiences growing up, becoming their own person in their teenage years. The kind of contrasts with your typical teenager in Taiwan, who is, for better or for worse. Uh, stuck in an endless cycle of classes. No shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> not to say this always works out for the best. Not to say everybody has a better teenage experience than Taiwanese would, because like there's, if you're coming from like a, a poorer family or a a family living in a bad neighborhood or whatever. Right. But I think your average American teenager has more novel experiences and more opportunities to grow up and become independent than your average Taiwanese teenager. And I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, um, getting your first job at age 16. Mm-hmm. You're talking about getting a car at age 16 or learning to drive, talking about being trusted with a certain level of independence, mm-hmm. um, talking about school not dominating every single day of your life, though you are still most often on a college track. But right. when you're going, when you're thinking about applying to college, one of the big things that is a, a factor is your extracurriculars. And I, oh, yeah. I don't know if high schools in Taiwan place as much emphasis on that or any at all. I've, I've, I only worked in a high school here in Taiwan for two years, and I taught mostly in middle school classes. You have as much experience in Taiwanese high school as I. Right, because you then moved <laughs> to the U.S., Yes. But like even in, in like relationships, like most often American teenagers get in, you know, their first romantic relationship within teenage years. Yeah. Again, for better, or for worse. And I I actually don't know how common that is here in Taiwan. Yeah, that one you asked the wrong person. <laughs> sure. But definitely by college, most Americans, I would say, are equipped and ready to go out and meet new people most days of the week and can interact and socialize with almost anybody. And you've kind of definitely determined your own interests and your own personality by then. And you kind of know where you fit in your social cliques or whatever. Definitely by now, by 2022, it's not just like the jocks are beating up the nerds. Like everybody's kind of cool with everybody with exceptions. It's different from how it was, and now I'm kind of rambling. Uh, what are your thoughts on American teenage life? Well, I have to say, um, pros and cons compared to Taiwan, though. Um, sure. For sure, when I was in the States, going through high school year, uh, senior year, besides the language barrier, I could have very well, I mean, not, I mean, school-wise, I could have well excelled, you know, in, in American state, uh, schools sure. in the state. But... At the same time, I didn't have that much fun in schools, for sure, for the most part. You did not? 
no, it did not. Um, like you said, <laughs> most days, like your majority focuses on schools and grades and all that. Okay. Given that I didn't go to cram school my whole life, I didn't spend as much time as compared to other kids. But it's just like even I didn't go there, have that much that all all that kind of time. I still didn't do a lot of things that American teenagers do. You know, you mentioned something like they get to explore who they are and get to make, meet new people, right? Yeah, it, it was totally not the same as me. I mean, very speaking of my personal experience, right? I'm more or less of a towards an in, introvert kind of side. Not having a, a lot of friends to hang out with, or not knowing how to make friends, was definitely something I didn't learn till I would say when I get out of college and become adults. You know, or not knowing how to deal with people I don't know how to introduce myself. You know, um, a lot of times. In the state, my experience in the states is like, I get to join the band. Yeah, the band was big part in our school at the time,、okay. and so through bands, I know so many people, right? Yeah, and later on, those people become people that I hang out with、uh, for the rest of the years. Yeah, and other things like you know after school activity, tracks, sports, and all those things. People,、uh, teenagers in the in the states, put. A lot of their time in those things as well. As oh,、both. definitely. I'll tell you straight up, Bob. Like,、um, with with exceptions,、uh, namely being AP classes in high school, I was I was putting more effort into drama club than I ever did my studies. Yeah,、uh, my high school years and like by by my senior years, I started and staged my own show because the drama、mm. club,、uh, the the theater teacher wasn't gonna do a second show. I just said, okay, I'm gonna do it, and. I, I did it, and it was it was a flying success. I thought I'd get、nice. a few people, and I got like twenty four people who wanted to join it, and it was it was a challenge of both time management and personnel management that you know only seventeen year old Joseph could have done. You know, not having financial pressure and over my head, and like the、mm-hmm. responsibility of like you know having a full time job or a family or or bills, you know. In fact, still to this day, what what the hell? Like twelve years later, how old am I? Maybe fourteen years later, th- this comedy show still goes on at my high school, and it's、Damn. still it's still student directed. It makes me laugh. And of course, I've been in Taiwan. I haven't gone back to really to see the performances thereafter. Every now and then on Facebook, I'll see you know like a post about. The, the the Fred comedy troupe Fred standing for <laughs>、uh, what F R E D for real entertainment duh nice that was the, that was the name of our group I've brought up this whole topic because most people's teenage years are determined by school school didn't get in the way of me being who I wanted to be it、mm-hmm. kind of gave me the outlet to do that and、right. I hope for some people in Taiwan that. They their school provides them with that outlet as well. But、right. what I've heard, it's all about the tests. It yeah, just、sure. sounds depressing. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at how the class periods are structured, yeah, compared to American regular American school to Taiwanese kids, like if I remember correctly, I think、um, you have like seven periods in total every day. I mean, certain time you go to that particular class, right? In so, America, yeah, in yeah. America,、uh, so、yeah. 
difference actually is that by high school, the students switch classes, not the teachers. Yes, yeah, I mean, there, there are of course required classes, like you're required to do English, math, and science, and all those things, but like you get to pick what classes you choose. Yeah, those classes, I mean, if you just see how they, the time distributed throughout the day are exactly the same, like each class period is exactly the same as other ones, you know, so your band time will be exactly the same as, you know, your English, your math will be exactly the same as your PE, right? So high school structure their, their classes, they just make the kids see each class period equally important. Yeah, yeah, that's actually fair. Like some, if some people are like thinking they're on a music track through high school and they think that oh, they're yeah. going to go to college for music or, or even just like graduate and be try to start a band or whatever full time, yeah. they, they can stack their schedule with music classes. And sure. I mean, maybe there would be some parental gripes, but the school would um, allow that for you. encourage that. Yeah. Uh, or on the flip side, stack your classes with advanced biology and chemistry coursework or whatever. Yeah. Is there any flexibility in a Taiwanese high school kid's schedule? No. Your schedule are dictated by the teachers, by the school. Okay. Much like the one in our school right now. The structure, the accreditation stru is structure in Taiwan is the main subjects has to be taught at certain class hours every mm -hmm. week. So let's say Chinese, A class periods, math, A class periods, English, six class periods, right? Out of the yeah. 40 class periods that you have. And then your okay. PE is like a two class period, music slash arts is like a one class period per week. So that's not a lot of flexibility. No, not a lot of flexibility. And it's like kids don't get exposed to those things that other than, you know, the main subject areas. So it, yeah. it really, really, like you said, kids as American teenagers, they get to explore a lot of their own interests, what they like and they don't like. And you know, since you're going around to so many different classes, you don't get to see only these people, like, you know, only your classmates. Yeah, and you might, like, you know, have a friend from French class or have, you know, these friends from PE class or yes. these whatever, calculus class, right? whatever so maybe. you build up the social interaction skills. I mean, I, I really can't say which one is certainly, this, like, education system is certainly better or worse than the other ones. Talking about, like, a teenage personal experience wise yeah. i mean for sure i mean i didn't do as well as the schools as i probably could have you know because of the language barrier but other things like you know getting to know people seeing different people in classes and try things i never tried before you know yeah those is definitely a plus in american teenage years so here's one more question how many taiwanese high school kids are encouraged to get a part-time job. Encouraged or actually doing it? Both. I mean, like, I, I would say, like, probably about half of American kids are, like, I mean, this is, again, across the board. I mean, I don't know about, you know, from wealthy towns or whatever, but, like, yeah. I'd say about half are, like, encouraged to try and get some kind of part-time job, at least in the summer. Um, sure. To, you know, have the experience of working or, you know, to start your own financial independence quest yeah. Um, I, I've had several part-time jobs, some of which were very part-time, like four hours a week uh, in, mm -hmm. in high school. And uh, it was definitely a formative experience. 
Yeah, um, very few, like very, very few, very few yep. in Taiwan. Um, I think I shared this the experience with you. But the uh, high school I went to in Taiwan, uh, in Taiwan, they have you know teachers helpers kind of positions open, and mm-hmm. you do go into the office to help out. You know, every lunchtime or whatever, like half an yeah. hour per day, and you get. You do get paid, but it's it's not even a a part time job for me. You know, it's you get paid so little by the hour. More like an internship kind of. In a way, yes. Yeah. And but if you're talking about like a regular high school kids going to school and working part time at the same time, I I mean I would say probably less than five percent. And maybe a function of that is the fact that the high school day in Taiwan is often so long. Freaking long, man. My my high school was, I mean, again, small high school, so I, this is not across the board. But our our day began at seven forty five, mm-hmm. and the school day ended at two ten. That was Jesus. it. Jesus. Yeah, and I, that, that's even short by American standards. There were actually so few breaks in the day. Just like、mm-hmm. a 25-minute break for lunch, and then you're kind of back to class. But then, like after school, everyone kind of hung out and did arts or sports or drama、yeah. club or band or whatever it was. There's things happening still. Yeah. Or yeah. So I mean, it's just like how teenagers spend time on certain things. I mean, when you mention the topic, I say I really I said you guys lived. I really、yeah. do mean that. This might be my last comment, but I, I was kind of surprised.、Um, the few years that I taught at a high school in、uh, in Zhonghe before working at my current job,、um, I did teach a few senior high school classes. You know, eleventh grade and twelfth grade, and I, I know for a fact that you need to be eighteen to get a, a driving license in Taiwan. So I asked some of my students. Like I, I knew some of them had turned eighteen. You know, they they're legally adults by that point if they drive their scooters to school because.、Mm-hmm. Usually in Taiwan, you get a scooter license before you get a car license. Right. And then they were like, they looked at me like crazy, like Teacher Joseph. No, I'm like, well, well, why? You're you're 18 now. Scooters aren't that expensive. Like, you know, you can get a, a decent used scooter for like just over a thousand bucks U.S.、Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine some of them had them. And they're、really、like,、sure. oh, if if any of us drive our scooters to school, we'll be punished. And I was like, the hell, really? Because I remember growing up in the states, like kids very often would, if they had a car, drive、mm-hmm. their car to school, and they had to get a parking spot. There was a little bit of like a system for that. Not everybody、right. could, but if you if you had a spot, you very much could, and、yeah. you know you're treated as an adult because you have a license in that regard. But、yes. these kids, even though they had licenses, they were barred from. Driving their scooters to school. Yeah,、uh, my school has similar systems. I think the rule at the time was, as long you don't dress the school uniform, you do whatever the hell you're allowed to do legally. But the moment you put your school uniforms on, you're not allowed to ride scooter. You're not allowed to smoke. You're not allowed to drink. And like smoking and drinking, I, I guess I can kind of get it. Like in the U.S. across the board, tobacco is. Banned from school property, like not even、right. teachers could bring a pack of cigarettes onto、yeah. the school campus. It's not as if driving a car or scooter is a crime if you have a license, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, the kids in Taiwan just so sheltered, you know. Yeah, and I mean, and very much like controlled. 
throughout their their teenage years as well. Yeah, if not voluntarily, a lot of times they they're forced to put into this routine, stifled by their parents in the school for sure. <laughs> and and maybe this is my last comment about this, and, and I, I don't mean this to be an insult to Taiwan necessarily, but they put in so much hard work in school, in high school, and for most of those kids, their university choices. They don't have a whole lot of good ones, to be honest. Like Taiwanese universities are often fine, but if you look yeah. at like global rankings, like you only have a few. Like National Top Taiwan University yeah. ranks number one, obviously. It's like the Harvard of Taiwan, except that it ranks about as good as UMass Amherst、um, right. worldwide. And like Taiwan has, what did I read? Like there's like、uh, National Central University in、mm. Taoyuan. There's of course. Uh, Tsinghua and Jiaotong University in Xinju, and like Changgong University in Tainan, are like the five best universities in the country. If putting in so much work in school in Taiwan high school can't even get you to one of those five, then it's like it's kind of almost a means to an end from one perspective. Yeah. Well, you mentioned like、uh, kids in the states, teenagers in the states. They get to explore and really, truly trying to find what they are,、uh, who they are, or what they、yeah. like. Not much so in kids in Taiwan. It's no, yeah. So for talking about university and college, right? Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned the ranking, I'm just thinking that what could change that, you know, in Taiwan. And the first thing I came, I thought of was just freaking opens up switching the major system. I have heard this. Yeah. Really difficult to switch your track of study. Yes, it's very difficult. Like as if you're, I mean, you have to take a like a college entrance exam to go to any kind of college, right? Yeah. And if you want to switch major, you have to take some kind of exam within the school systems to change your major. And it's like it that's just stupid. So like one more thing that needs to change is like all the tests need to go. Certain ones, yes. Sure. Okay. So of course, going through school in the U.S., I had tests, but I feel like looking at all my classes, I very often had an essay or a project、right. at the same rate that I'd have a test. They were kind of held up equally, and like、okay. sure, there were some there were final exams for some classes, especially math class, but for other classes, you had a final essay, a final、mm-hmm. project, or a research project. And frankly, it kind of really annoys the crap out of me that at, <laughs> at our current school or my current school that we have a quarterly project in the class that is、yeah. worth a huge percentage of the grade, and most parents don't give a shit. They only <laughs> care about the student's test result. But it's like that's it's more too though. That's only part of that's only part of your students your your child's. Academic achievements, like、yeah. their project, really should count for so much more in your mind. Probably、But、should. That that there that is another kind of、uh, antiquated part of Taiwan's education system. It's it's almost a, a flaw that students, at least who came up when when you did, like didn't learn how to do that really. Yeah, we're pretty good at test taking skills. You know, yeah, BS my way through any test pretty well. Whether I actually know the stuff or not, but yeah, I mean, at the time, if it comes to some certain kind of projects, it's like, you know, how do I do that? You know, you figure yeah, it out. Whereas, like, like、yeah. me in college, 
I did my final um, economics college project, which was a research project on uh, the economics of the uh, airline industry. Yeah. And uh, what wrote 40 pages and got an A minus. But then again, Jeez. same semester, I was taking international economics okay. and I failed most of the tests in that class <laughs> because yeah. it was just all the theory was really freaking hard. Um, I passed the class in the end, like with a C, but like, it was so test-based, and I just couldn't do it. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's a pros and cons of like the teenage years and how they've been through school between yeah. Thailand and the United States. Yeah. You know? Um, my college year, oh my god, I pushed my kicked my butt on that one for sure. Uh, American University kind of like the extension of high school, like in terms of like a whole system. Yeah, yeah. Like you choose your own classes. You can choose your own like switch your majors pretty easily. Right. And there's a lot of like responsibility shouldered on the students to do what they can, and they're not like just kind of chauffeured around to yeah. you know achieve or as much as they can like it is in Taiwan. Right. Right. And I mean, given that much responsibility, all of a sudden, you know, it's like it took me a while to figure out. You know how to run the system well how to put myself in the system you, know? you were also in a new country away from your family doing all this by yourself which is amazing kind of that one was not that big of a deal because i know i'm i'm always okay put it this way i decided to stay because i'm too afraid to go back <laughs> to come back <laughs> really <laughs> to go back to a taiwanese system high school yeah i'm too afraid to come back because wow. i know i will freaking kill myself not like you know grades wise but i'll be miserable and suffering throughout the entire year i mean i will definitely learn a lot more in terms of content knowledge wise but still i mean okay so you just made a um somewhat of a quip or a joke but i actually kind of want to um, build off that um i i don't know offhand what teenage depression rates and teenage suicide rates are between the two countries. Uh, I imagine in the past decades, they've gotten lower and better as people are more aware of mental health. Yeah. But I do know that Taiwan had, there's so much pressure put on Taiwanese students. Right. But on the other side, Taiwanese students are, I mean, they kind of culturally retain their youth a little bit more. And I got to say this more carefully. Like they, they don't, they grow up a bit later because they're not given chance, as many chances to yeah. be independent. I'm kind of, I hesitate to Google, you know, US teen suicide rates and all like that. But I, I don't know if one way is better or worse for somebody's mental and physical health. Well, without doing research, in terms of, of the rate, a suicide yeah. rate wise, the number yeah. wise, I would think it's somewhat similar. Okay. But it's the reason or the cost behind it that could show a huge difference. Yeah, like like last year I read the news, some some teenager in Yonghe jumped off the roof of his, of his building trying to kill himself because of school pressure. Yes, a lot of, well, not just Taiwan, but a lot of um, Asian East Asian countries are like that. A lot of extreme measures or extreme behaviors, a lot of those behaviors originate because of the school pressure. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to there are a lot more sinister, well, not sinister, but... Social pressure? 
yeah, social pressures to perform well uh, in Taiwan, but in Taiwan, um, in the state, U.S. actually. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I will say that a lot of times they do behave differently or behave extremely is because of yeah, like you said, socially pressured to do so. And I guess like Taiwanese high school kids actually don't know this for a fact, but the vibe I get like they're not as much introduced to drugs or bad habits as American kids might be. Yeah, they're way too well sheltered. Yeah, not to say it's good or bad. Though. I mean, drugs is always a bad thing to do, but it's just a fact. Still, they don't get to explore other things other than things in school. Yeah, because it's not as if it's not as if everything you get to explore is a good thing. Actually. Listening back to our first podcast, I, I'm, I kind of was kicking myself, like, why didn't we bring up or why didn't I bring up uh, drug use rates as a contributing factor to abject poverty in America? Because we all know, like, mm. the there's the opioids epidemic and the um, there's issues with, with meth in the U.S. that contributes to a lot of homelessness and not saying, like, uh, soft drugs are always a gateway, but, like, I mean, just to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've been on teenage years for a while now. Do you want to go to something a little bit less in depth? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the fifth thing that I feel like America does better than Taiwan, uh, it's pretty simple to say, um, handicap accessibility or mobility impaired accessibility um, yeah. in infrastructure, buildings, roads, transportation, etc. Like mm-hmm. most... American buildings, even the older ones, are, are built or retrofitted for people in wheelchairs, people with certain mobility impairments to be mm-hmm. to give them access. And while yes, it does happen in Taiwan, I don't think it's as prevalent and yeah. as uniform as the U.S. is. Yes, that I totally agree. Um, well, you do have to consider. A lot of places in Taiwan were built before any kind of legislations were uh, passed for uh, accessibilities, you know. Definitely. And then, like, Taiwan built their towns and cities way more dense and crowded. But, like, there's there's plenty of places in America. Like, my my home area is all pretty old. Like, the house next door to my parents' house Mm -hmm. was built in 1734, you know, case in point. Mm, Damn. But, like, most buildings and towns... Were, were were mandated to be retrofitted for yeah. for handicap access, accessibility right um and sidewalks roads buses the whole the list goes on and i guess it's not only wheelchairs um i think america does pretty well having infrastructure for the blind and vision impaired mm-hmm. whereas i mean don't get me started on taiwan sidewalks holy shit <laughs> well okay compared to when I was younger, it's much better, though. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And like, I, I do see a lot of um, those, the yellow tiles with the bumps on them for blind people to follow. Yeah. There's a word for it. There's a term that I'm forgetting. I see those more often. Yeah. I mean, it really has to go back to the fact that the city was so dense and places when they were built didn't think of that as, you know, something that they need to consider. Even like a, a lot of... Um, Housing in Taiwan is usually like a five floor, you know, uh, gongyu buildings. Like my wife was once saying, because we're, we're loosely thinking about buying a place in the next 
five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, don't bother looking at places that are on the fourth or fifth floor of these buildings because, like, once you're old, what if you can't get back up there? And there's, like, nearly no way to retrofit and add an elevator or stairs when you mm-hmm. only own one floor. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no idea how the elderly do it. So that one, I do have to agree. Oh, and by the way, yeah, uh, leaving accessibility available to those who need is definitely so well enforced in the States. Yes, very that much. That one, I mean, it was something that the cops, they, they reinforced that to no ends. How you, sometimes you'll just see a scooter parked in the handicapped spot in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. You, you never see that in the States. Like, like, no. Like, how dare you? The fine is huge. You, you, you stole their spot. Get away, you know? Right. And um, my personal experience one time was the supermarket nearest my school. I drove there once, did not see the sign right in front of me. Okay. It was like late in the night. There were five empty parking spots around me, you know. Nobody oh, was there. Okay. So and I actually accidentally drove into the handicap spot. When I got out from the shop getting my things, cop pulled me over when I pulled out of the gas station. He's like, You had stop and you park in the ca- handicap spot. I'm like, Oh wait, what? For I did not uh-huh. see the sign and there were like all empty spots. But cops pulled me over for pulling wow. into the handicap spot. So what was the fine? Uh, it was warning. Oh wow, lucky then. Um, but it, it's it's impressive that they they waited and they they knew who you were and they followed you over just yeah. for that infraction. Yes, maybe it's a small town cop thing that nothing else to do and just finding all the smallest infraction. Not going to assume that, but it's just I know and I heard stories of people parked there get huge amounts of fines. No, Americans are pretty serious about that. Like it's not that America is the best for championing all matters of health needs, but like mm-hmm. mobility impairments, pretty easy to see and also easy to understand. Oh yeah. So whether it's someone who's in a wheelchair or someone who's elderly and needs help getting around, or someone's blind or deaf, like Americans are taught about this at a pretty young age, mm-hmm. and they. They're familiar with the infrastructure as well. You know, it's it's easier to understand that than like, you know, um, depression or anxiety. And it's right. also with so much space around, it's easy to retrofit things and to build roads this way and to, mm-hmm. I don't know, always have a spot at the supermarket. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, bigger buildings nowadays or newer ones would definitely have more and more those things will be will be some kind of like a standard from now on for sure because you know laws has passed regulations change and things will be enforced more and more but yeah your experience of you know not having a good place to you know go around with the strollers will stay will remain for the next foreseeable future for sure Um, anything that you want to add about maybe one way that Taiwan could improve handicap accessibility? Uh, well, it's just the general awareness, I guess. Yeah. Um, that people in the state, like you said, they know these kind of people exist. It's around yeah. them. They need the they need all those infrastructures. Yeah. Um, but it's not as well versed as or as common of an understanding for people in Taiwan. 
the sidewalks wise, I say I mentioned that it was so much better than I mean nowadays than you know when I was a kid. The change was used to be the sidewalks, the chilo, chilo, right? Do you know what I? Mean? When I was living in Jungle, it was the same thing. Like you, the sidewalk was under the building on yeah. the first floor. It's it's so stupid to me to be honest. It, it's cool sometimes because you get to kind of see all the shops. Right. But it's also, like there's always shit in your way. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was little, a lot of times those old apartments, they were all building at different levels. Yep. So sometimes you have to step over or they, you know, sometimes like you just go up and down, up and down. Right. And more and more in Taiwan these days that even the older ones, they think they force them to either level or just add more space, uh, add more materials. To, so it will be even across the entire yeah block if, if any of our listeners is, are interested in hearing more thoughts about taiwan's bizarre sidewalks you can go to part three of things you notice about taiwan the matt and i actually talked at length about these uh <laughs> taiwan's quote weird uneven sidewalks yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah this is funny to hear this brought up again because it it is such a thing I mean, it very much, you know, related to the topic, you know, accessibilities. Yeah. yeah, and like, I don't know what Taiwan could do to better make living in the city more accessible for those in wheelchairs or blind people or deaf people, aside from like redesign large areas of the whole city. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, like like you said, regulations are more so in place now for new buildings. Um, I mean, like the MR, the MRT does a pretty good job of offering all manners of accessibility. They even like have yeah. um, like staff escort the blind through right. the MRT, which is kind of amazing, actually. Right. Well, yeah. anything that government build nowadays, I mean, at least for I mean for for a while now, that you will find it, the accessibility isn't an issue anymore. Yeah. Like yeah, just like everything other than does the government build unless the construction company put that in mind or actually follow the laws then yeah the older ones will never have that such things to accommodate people this kind of leads into my sixth and final thing about things that america does better than taiwan um housing yeah straight up uh you're gonna have to succumb to a huge rant from me bob taiwanese housing is terrible it is terrible. It is really expensive for no reason. So not to say houses in the States are like the gold standard, but yeah. housing in Taiwan is largely concrete boxes. And I yes. get why you have typhoons, earthquakes, and humidity. But mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be so uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be so cramped. And it doesn't have to be so ugly. Mm -hmm. So your average Taiwanese person whether they're in a city or in a countryside town, with the exceptions of much, much, much older houses, uh, lives in a smaller house, sometimes a three-floor building, sometimes one floor of a five-floor building that has mm -hmm. stairs at the front, covered in tiles or just bare concrete, bars mm -hmm. on the windows, not a lot of or possibly not any uh, outdoor space around the house. They're just built flush together to the next buildings and flush yeah. up the road. And I get it. Taiwan's a small population dense country. 
But there's something to be said about this style of housing, how it's so difficult to build additions or do renovation on your house unless you're going to be succumbing your neighbors to jackhammer construction. And when it comes time to doing any renovations, painting, adding outlets or adding wires, it just kind of has to be like taped up in a way or like attached to the exterior. While I've heard the argument that tiles are easier to clean, no one cleans them. Um, and of course, if there's five owners of one building, each on every floor, people are not going to kind of get together and beautify the outside of the apartment. And no one's also going to care about the stairs either as you walk up through. And I've heard the argument that the reason why Taiwan's housing is this way is because it's influenced by how, you know, after the Kuomintang lost the Chinese Civil War, they had to retreat to Taiwan and yeah. basically build a million houses in no time at all for all the soldiers and families that came over. Yeah. But decades and decades gone by, uh, you'd think that the houses that remained, if they are, if they were put up influenced by that, they people would have took the effort to make them more comfortable. I don't see that as much. Very often there's no storage space and very often there's just not a lot of space for recreation. Like you have bedrooms, you have a combination living room, dining room, kind of kitchen, larger shared space, but it can be just kind of, it can get cluttered and there's just not a lot of space to do things. Like you're never going to have a workshop to tinker in, you know? Yes. And, and oh God, there's never parking. There's just never parking. I, I literally cannot drive my car with my wife and baby daughter to my mother-in-law's house without having to consult with three other neighbors about where exactly to park. Because <laughs> if I park here, then it's going to block the guy over there from leaving in the morning. So we got to make a plan. And I can't even do a three-point turn in the lane. I can't. There's just no way. Um, unless I'm going to just fall off the um, the curb at the other end. <laughs> so houses are not being retrofitted for comfort. They're not being retrofitted for parking at all. And they're fucking expensive. Like, sorry for the swear, but holy crap. I don't even know where to start. Anything in... If you're looking to buy any housing in Taipei City or New Taipei City that's under um, 300,000 USD, you're going to buy, you're going to get a fourth floor walk up in Ancom. You're not going to get mm -hmm. anything downtown at all. Um, and with wages and salaries so low across the country, I don't know how families swing it how do they afford new houses aside from just like pulling the entire family's resources together and um, mortgage for the next 50 years yeah right well okay so to give taiwan a bone i have looked and the the mortgage um interest rates are really low compared to the u.s so like it makes a monthly payment a little bit more a little bit more reasonable but the, the, they still demand a 20 percent down payment and mm -hmm. people are living um people's incomes can't often stretch that far compare this to your typical american style housing even in the city they're often designed on the interior to be more comfortable um not just purely functional aesthetically attractive on the outside as well and there's of course there's you know 
a variety of aesthetic preferences across the world. But for a long time, Taipei was called Asia's ugly duckling in this 80s and 90s. Sure. And you go into the countryside towns in the U.S., you have arguably yards that are far too big, but you have a green around, you have room and space in the houses, you have a variety of designs, and you have houses that even in a market inflated now, they're not comparably crazy expensive. Even if the market goes up, they're not so, so, so unreasonable to the point where no mm -hmm. one can afford them. You can renovate your own house too much. You're not going to have to pull out a jackhammer to knock down the concrete. People can do housing renovations, and it's not going to just rack your brain with what to do. Mm -hmm. And final, final, final gripe from me, um, the newer building constructions in Taiwan, they don't look all that much better. They often look really ridiculous with like fake European statues and like these really <laughs> body lobbies with like lofted ceilings to look fancy. And then you get into a unit and it's tiny. It's mm. tiny. And people like development um, companies will build these huge buildings and put up all these frills to sell units. And the minute things are sold, oh, the fountains turn off forever. You know? Yeah. Garden is not taken care of anymore. The 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 play area or the exercise area is no longer in service. They just did it to sell units. And I I really hope that, especially in Taipei City, that the government can kind of expand their like um public housing efforts, but it doesn't look it, to be honest. It looks mm -hmm. like it might take a while longer. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I haven't even begun talking about rural housing in Taiwan. Um, it's still concrete boxes. <laughs> well, All right, that was my housing rant, Bob. <laughs> I more or less agree with you for the most part, yeah. Just despite it, the anger. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I'm living with a family home right now. I don't think I can move out and have a, a place of my own anytime soon, you know, because mm -hmm. The market itself, I'm I'm waiting for it to crash, but I also know what it means by the mar the housing market crashes. So it's a bit of bit bittersweet. Yeah, um, in in my area, when we have this house like 12 years ago, compared to the price right now, I mean, it, it, the price at the time was high already, you know, uh, per hour family finance. And nowadays, yeah. there's no way that we can sell our house and get an equal flourage of the same house, similar house on, in the same area, because it's just too damn expensive. It's just, the prices keep going up and up and up, yeah. Yeah, it more than doubles in, in my area in just the 12, 13-year span, you know. Wow, wow. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mean to, you know, speak ill about your house. I haven't seen it, but, like, is it big and comfortable like how is it it's it fits our needs um but mm, definitely not big enough if we have a space and we can definitely do more with you know more storage space like you like like what you said yeah, yeah. And is it is it sandwiched between other concrete houses down an alley somewhere like a lot of taiwanese houses are or is it like in a little bit more of a spread out area or or what my area is 
a little bit more spread out. Um, okay. I think we're surrounded on our side, surrounded by newer buildings. And of course, like across the street, you see like those five fours, five story talls, old apartments, you know, 30, 40 yeah. years old apartments. Beautiful or not is subjective, you know. Yes. But the fact that not having a very big and comfortable living space as people used to in the States, you know, comparatively, Taiwan could do a lot better than this. And not to say we don't have land. Like, it's like you, you, you do, but you don't. Yes. You know, like, um, so you, you don't insofar as uh, it would be quite difficult to fit the population of Taiwan in large houses spread across the country. But you do because your average Taiwanese wants to live right in the heart of the city. And living right. 10 minutes drive up a hill is just out of the question to most Taiwanese. And mm -hmm. even though some of those houses up the hill, I've been looking in Sanxia up in Baiji, it's this mm -hmm. mountain village up in Baiji, there's actually affordable housing there. It's right. not super tiny. It doesn't look too nice, to be honest, but like it's affordable and it's larger, but no one's buying there because people are just so accustomed to being living right in the heart of a downtown. There is definitely a culture of, of well, now is like how you say kind of like hustle and bustle in Chinese, right? Mm -hmm. People want to live in a really kind of downtown area. The convenient and, area. Yeah, and the result of that is tiny, old, kind of uncomfortable housing because mm -hmm. they're uh, not accustomed to a trade-off. I don't know. I mean, I know that Taiwan, um, in Taiwan, especially bigger cities, and that uh, there's city developments areas, designated city yeah. development yeah. area, and those buildings nowadays, um, of course, they're getting getting much taller, um, yep. but at the same time, the regulation dictate them to leave a lot more communal space available for all the residents there. Yeah, Because so often, like families especially, don't have a lot of communal space around. Right. Um, like, not that you need an American-sized yard. No one really needs that. But right. people need things to do and a comfortable place to live. And right. I feel like in Taiwan, unless you're going to be able to spend a crap ton of money, people's housing doesn't provide that. No. Yeah, it's just the fact that, I mean, we do have space, but we don't. Uh, another thing is because there are plenty of householders, put it that way. It's their business of buying houses and rent out. Like those big gigantic landlords, put it that way. And we talked about this um um in a podcast before. No, we we did actually on the last podcast. It is actually pretty easy to rent a place in Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah, compared to the U.S. other countries, like very few questions asked, just a two month down payment and you're done. Boom. Right. Right. But that being said, it means that the house ownership, it's much harder to get because yep. you have to compete with those bigger landlords of getting yep. the house and the resources that they can pull out compared to yours to get a house of your own, you know. And, and people people largely want to invest in the property market because I, the rich people in Taiwan have arguably fewer 
opportunities to invest in things like sure there's a Taiwanese stock market but it's not not as like developed it's not as big, yeah. yeah it's not as big or happening as it is in the US if you're looking at, at property as an investment not like as a need for a person then it negatively affects the market for other people yeah I mean I totally agree with that and I still miss the time of you know living in a place where there's woods in the back and yep. big yard in the front. Yep. It was this is this is kind of dumb, but it was it was so tough to find like upholstery couches, couches made of fabric. Yeah. Like I try to support local businesses. I try to go to, you know, like some Taiwanese furniture stores and they all have those wicked uncomfortable like mahogany wooden <laughs> couches that just like hurt your butt and back. But yeah. like, oh, look at this this wood. It's so like like no, I want like a couch and a rug and like a, comf- a comfortable lighting. Big ass cushion underneath your butt. Most of my furniture is from IKEA now, to be honest. Like yeah, and not to say that IKEA is better than a Taiwanese company, but like it was one of the only ways to make it comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I mean the fact that that I there's now like four IKEAs in Taipei alone, kind right. of like. It's a testament to Taiwanese style house and design not often being as comfortable as people could have. Yeah, um, I think not sure when you went to the like traditional uh, furniture stores, but more and more they're getting they're tailored to comfort nowadays in uh-huh. terms of furnitures. Yeah. So here's a question. Why is it so uncommon to like paint your walls a color other than white in Taiwan? Hard to sell. Hard to sell. <laughs> That's the only know. thing I can think of. I don't know. And to be honest, how many people in Taiwan knows how to paint by themselves? <laughs> that is a fantastic point, Bob. <laughs> yeah, traditionally. Like why still consider like the main color to use interior for interiors, and any other color it just consider odd and I mean literally it could bring down your house mark uh, house value in the long run. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Like yeah, sure. I'm thinking about like when my family when I was a kid like moved into the our still the the current house in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like my parents hated the fact that the living room was entirely painted in in yellow <laughs> i thought it was weird but then again that was like you know that was the 60s or whatever right. um well you mentioned something about like the outside of the building looks old and run down for the most yeah. part yeah um for older ones for sure because there's no not a central body within that apartment build complex or apartment buildings yeah to share the cost for that yeah that's true um, but places like with more like the one we live right now, we don't have a higher person. We don't have someone hired to make decisions for all the communal spaces for our apartment built complex. We do have a shared community that, you know, every month you put so much into the uh, accounts. Yeah. And eventually you know, big repairs, like say 20 years down the road, we want to change the tiles of the buildings. 
yeah. Then you know people living there at the time can decide to do that and hire a contractor for that. I think a lot of newer buildings nowadays have an organization like that. You know, just residents group together or even something required to be in to be part of when you move in there. So um, the U.S. kind of has what is it called? HOA. Uh, yeah. Is that like a HOA? In a way, yes. It's similar to HOA in terms of keeping the, I mean, doing the upkeeps of the whole community and yeah. every, every member pays the due, but it, it, it lacks the, the, the power structure, put it that way, you know, okay. a lot of American HOAs, I mean, a lot of those buildings that people think of eye swords, yeah um they'll be gone in the near future i think because like the city developments it's ongoing for sure um so uh do you have anything else you want to say about housing in the u.s or in taiwan i mean i hope that wherever you live next you have room to tinker yeah well that's definitely something i'll be looking for um housing in taiwan is really restricted because of land land mass that we have doesn't mean that we cannot do better than what we have now, but yeah. we don't get to build our houses. That's one thing, though. Like we didn't we didn't talk about in in, in we haven't talked about yet that people in the states a lot of times they build their own houses. That is actually a good point. Taiwanese yeah. always get to build their own house. Yes. Construction companies, or it's like this, like they buy a, a unit in a whole development area, or yeah, yeah. You rarely, I mean, within city areas really find someone actually have the buy the land demolish everything design their own building and build their own right yeah, i mean sure. in, in other area like rural area probably you mentioned yeah. it. i'm sure that people do this in like elon or miaoli or whatever definitely but yes nowhere and most taiwanese do live in or around cities um right 70 percent okay. two two things i want to say um i don't think i made it clear enough in this part of the podcast that Taiwanese houses are built and really effectively to withstand natural disasters. And I give them a lot of credit for that. You know, heavy typhoons, massive earthquakes, the buildings, that is a primary um, focus in building housing in Taiwan that you don't necessarily have to think of in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But I don't I don't feel like that needs to be a trade-off for comfort or aesthetic. Um, one one last thing I'll say, and I hope this comes through someday. I think mm-hmm. that there's beauty and curiosity in old Sanhuiyuan. You can find like oh, yeah. um, there's even a Sanhuiyuan behind Xiaolong Bridge Station MRT that you can see from the the, the platform. Mm-hmm. Like the design of old-fashioned Sanhuiyuan buildings, influenced by like whatever, like the Fujian province designs or like Qing Dynasty designs, those designs, but also um, traditional uh, Paiwan and Rukai Aboriginal slate housing. Oh yeah. Taiwan has a few points of interesting aesthetic designs that like developers could draw from, but you never see it ever. Yeah. Like it would be so cool to see some high rises being built in Banshao or wherever that are somewhat influenced by traditional Sanhuiyuan Chinese building designs. I've oh. never seen it before. 
And I've I've stayed in Sanhuiyuan Airbnbs in like Shinju County before. It's it's really freaking cool. Yeah. Uh, someday, maybe. You're gonna build one of your own. I I will never be able to afford to build a house in Taiwan, Bob. <laughs> Not in Taipei, in other areas, maybe. Hell no. <laughs> All right. So we've. I think this was expected. Like we've. Uh, we've uh, gone through six things that America does better than Taiwan, but ended right. up talking, ended up talking about Taiwan for the bulk of the podcast. <laughs> well, you do um, compare things, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so no, no, um, no regrets there. Um, but it's been great talking about these these six things here with you, and yeah. um, we really got through a lot of good points. And again, I'm always happy to have you on because I know we're never gonna agree about everything. And yeah, I, you brought up a lot of really good points. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I have no idea who to talk to about these. Uh, with these things, and these aren't aren't the thing you usually come up with in conversation. You know. You 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 don't have a lot of people in your social circles at all times to talk about like big topics with. So I'm really really happy yeah. to have you on again. All right, Bob. Um, it has been a pleasure. I gotta go and uh, get dinner, and then it's bath time for my daughter, and then、mm-hmm. you know, you know how life can be. <laughs> yes. Well, this is great talking to you with these things and bring up some nostalgia and a lot of things that I could have complained when I was growing up, and now I get to do it. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Bob. Thank you. Oh, the cats want to you now. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And thanks again for joining us in this episode of the Dear Taiwan podcast. Very, very in depth, very detailed, and very gripey. In listening back to some parts of the episode, I kind of wish I brought up more details about the way American houses are laid out, from wide kitchens to more natural light to more of a welcome entry. I also wish I had explained more exactly how a Sanhuiyuan house looks in Taiwan, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this conversation, and if you want to weigh in on it and kind of contribute your own thoughts on ways the USA is better than Taiwan, please feel free to send us an email at deartaiwanpodcast@gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. My guest again was Bob, and we hope we've demonstrated how, in a lot of different ways, both the USA and Taiwan are amazing places and have a lot of great things going for them. Tune in next time.